Peace is really a word that stirs up a response in every person, but very individually. You hear the word peace. Peace. Maybe for you, you feel a weight leave. You feel like a burden's gone when you just sense the word peace. Maybe you see it as something so far away, you long for it, but you can never imagine having it. When you hear the word peace, you think, that is never possible for my family, for my relationships. Or perhaps you sense that there is no peace in your life or in your soul. And a lack of peace brings loneliness and bitterness and anger and guilt. Ultimately, the lack of peace brings discontentment. And you see, this is a universal problem. No matter what language is used to describe it, we know that the world is lacking peace and they know it. They lack peace and they know it. They are so discontent. It's a world that tries and tries to offer something, anything, try to eliminate that hole, to try to erase the feeling, to try to ease the thought. The world knows something's wrong, that there is an emptiness within the human heart that there seems to be no peace. Everyone has their uh, say about peace. Here are some famous quotes. The world will know peace, Jimi Hendrix says, when the power of love overcomes the love of power. He's quoting Gandhi. Or, peace begins with a smile, says Mother Teresa. Or, here's an interesting one. If, pe- if everyone demanded peace... Instead of another television set, then there would be peace. Makes no sense, but John Lennon of the Beatles said that. Peace can only be achieved by understanding, said Einstein. But as we discussed peace at Christmas uh, and this whole season, uh, Augustine, an early church father, he gets it right at the heart. I'm going to paraphrase his words to make it understandable. But he says, God, you made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until we find our rest in you. He gets it. Our heart is restless until we find our rest in you. He gets peace. And so we're going to discover this season what that means. Not just in a far off sense, like this idea of world peace or peace in your family. What does peace actually mean? Is it just something that people talked a lot about in the 60s? What is peace? And how does it actually come into our hearts and transform some of our worries and our guilts and our fears? How does true peace actually change lives? So this morning I want you to open your copy of God's Word to Isaiah 54. And here I'll read from verse 4 through 17. This is God's Word. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and a distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment, I have abandoned you. 
But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah. When I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth, so now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. O afflicted city, Lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundation with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you, and you will have nothing to fear. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will not... Be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges the weapons fit for its work. And it is I who created the destroyer to work havoc. No weapon formed against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. This is God's word. So here, we learn of something called the covenant of peace. And here it's assured. The covenant of peace is assured for these people. So then what does that mean? It's very interesting. As you look at verse 4 again, he, he begins to tell them things that will not happen to them. God is promising something to this people. He promises many things to this people. He says, you won't suffer shame. It's interesting to think about what is not peaceful. Well, being ashamed is not very peaceful. He says also, you will not be humiliated. You'll forget the shame of your youth. All your regrets, they won't be there. They won't haunt you. And when you feel abandoned, God will bring you back. He will call you back for success. In verse 7, he says, with deep compassion... I'll bring you back. And he explains in verse 8, I had a surge of anger. I hid my face from you. You felt abandoned. You, you felt as though I had left you. But instead, I was judging you as you ought to have had. Then he says, But with everlasting kindness, kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Then in verse 10, he says, Even if everything goes wrong, the mountains be shaken, the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love will not be shaken, nor something else that won't be shaken or removed is my covenant of peace, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So then what would the original readers be thinking or the original hearers of this prophecy be hearing as they begin to see, okay, so there's a covenant of peace that God is making with us. Kindness extended to us. Compassion for us. Well, what will He do for us? How will He show this to us? Think of it as though this were to you in the original sense. You are in a place of turmoil, feeling as though God has abandoned you because He's judging you. 
And then he says these things. Like in verse 13. Your sons will be taught by the Lord. And great will be your children's peace. In righteousness you will be established. Tyranny will be far from you. You have nothing to fear. Terror will be removed. It won't even come near you. And then verse 17. No weapon forged against you will prevail. And you'll be able to refute every tongue that accuses you. With that set up, what do you think they expect? When this covenant of peace is to be fulfilled, when it is to come, when it is to be realized, what do you think they expect? They expect no weapon forged against you will prevail. Well, we're definitely going to win every battle. We're going to win every war. This is going to be a conquering thing. No one's uh, going to be able to accuse us. We're going to conquer them. Our children will have peace. It's a guarantee, it says. We won't have tyranny. There won't be difficulty. There won't be trial. There will be nothing to fear. Terror is going to be removed from us. Isn't that what we are to expect, says this people Israel? This is the future glory of Zion. So when will this be? That must be the question. Whenever God makes a promise, whenever God says, I will do something, there's multiple questions that must be asked that are really important. When? Will this happen? To whom will this happen? And how will it happen? Those are really important questions because if you get the sense of timing off and you think that this means when the Messiah comes that he must conquer like a king riding on a horse, leading a nation in battle that wins. When you think that's when it must happen, you're going to miss him. Isn't that so? Of the Jews? Haven't they so missed him? Because they expect this king to come and conquer, yet Christ came as a babe. He came weak. He rode on a donkey. He did not fight with swords. So when the people of Israel see this promise, this is the coming peace, this is the coming covenant, this is what's coming from God. And surely when Jesus arrives on the scene, he can't be it. There's no way he's it. These promises are for us. And it seems to be world peace. For us anyways as a people. In Ezekiel 37, God again talks about this covenant of peace when he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. He says, I will set in them in their land and multiply them. But here's here's what's important. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that the Lord sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Do you notice what that covenant of peace looks like? My dwelling place shall be with them. Does that sound like Emmanuel? God with us? My sanctuary. He says it three times in that passage. My sanctuary. My presence will be with them. I will dwell with them. I will be in their midst forever. I will be with them forever. So it's interesting, when you look back at Isaiah 54, with that in mind, when you're thinking about this covenant of peace, 
In verse 7 he says, For a brief moment I abandon you. There's a real contrast here. The nearness of God and the distance of God. So he says in verse 7, there's this distance. I have abandoned you. You feel as though I'm nowhere even close to you because of your sinfulness. I have abandoned you. But he says, with deep compassion, listen, who's going to move here? I will bring you back. God didn't move. I will bring you back. That's who's got to move. The people went away. The people distanced themselves. And so God will draw them back. He says, In a surge of anger, I hid my face for you from a moment, but with an everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. And then he says in verse 10, My unfailing love will not be shaken. Because you read the Old Testament and you see, and the people of Israel know this, like, God loves us. He loves us. He said again and again, and He's shown us again and again that He loves us. So has God's love failed? Has it failed because we, we don't feel Him? We don't see Him? He's not seemingly near to us right now. We ask that question, has God's love failed? Has He failed me? Has He failed you? But God speaks. It says, my unfailing love will never be shaken. And he adds on to that, nor my covenant of peace be removed. He says, this covenant, he spoke of it as an everlasting covenant. And it can't be removed. It can't be taken away. Once my covenant of peace has been made with you, it won't be removed. It won't be shaken. It'll never leave. You have to think about what a covenant is, right? In our sense, we have awful view of covenants. Uh, we think it's a contract that most of the time can just be broken. You can sign off, get a lawyer, and break your covenants or your contracts. They're so easy to get rid of. Not so with these people. Not so in their time, and not so with God. This is a covenant that God made. God does not break covenants. God always keeps his covenants, always keeps his promises. So when he says, my covenant of peace won't be taken away from you, what does he mean? Early on in the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 26, he says, he tells them again, this this promise, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, I shall not hate you forever, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. This is Emmanuel, God with us. So then what will the arrival of this covenant look like? If this is what it entails, if it entails some, some, something that's everlasting, something of God's compassion, something of God near His people, something of God dwelling with His people, what are the people to look for? What are they to anticipate? Okay, show us his covenants being fulfilled. Show us it's, it's actually coming to fruition. What does it look like? So then the covenant of peace then is anticipated when God gives them a hint. He tells them in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, a well-known verse, and it tells them what to look for. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's his peace. 
He is the Prince of Peace. And it is a child that is born. So when they, they hear of this covenant of peace, and they anticipate it, they, they anticipate, what are they looking for? Isaiah tells them, a child. A child that will be born. And he will have the name. Because that is who he will be. The Prince of Peace. So then when will this Messiah come? Because certainly in their mind, the world needs peace. Israel needs peace is what they're thinking. We need to conquer everybody. And even now people still say, let's pray for world peace. You know, the beauty pageant contest, she's always got to finish with, and I hope for world peace. It's, it always has got to be that way, right? You know that. Like, if you don't hope for world peace, you don't win Miss America or whatever. Uh, so, so the world wants peace. So they're still begging the question, when will this come? Where is this world peace? Because if you Christians say, Jesus has arrived, and he's the Prince of Peace, and uh, of peace there will be no end, have you guys not turned on the news? Are you Christians so naive to think that this is peace? Where is this peace? The world longs for peace. I recently read about a song by Simon and Garfunkel from 1966. So I listened to it. Uh, the song called The Seven O'Clock News, Silent Night. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It is an odd song. Uh, but basically, it is them singing Silent Night in the background, and then a news broadcaster going through all the headlines of the day over top of them. Headlines like about a comedian dying from an overdose, about Martin Luther King, about nine nurses being stabbed and strangled, about the Vietnam War. And then it ends with the last piece of news saying, and former President Nixon also said that opposition to the war in this country, that is Vietnam, is the greatest single weapon working against the U.S. And then it finishes. So Simon and Garfunkel are, are trying to show the world something. You sing that all is calm, all is bright, and, and that you sleep in heavenly peace, that there is a silent, holy night, yet there is all this bad news. So they're trying to say, where's the peace? Where is this peace? It's, it's a song to show hypocrisy, according to them, saying, you, you, you claim silent night, holy night, you guys sing it, but where is it? Where is it? Because all we see is the headlines. And so then, you have people who want to respond by that. And so then you have the covenant of peace then abused. And, and God speaks of this many times and, and harshly. In Jeremiah, you have the covenant of peace abused. He says in Jeremiah 6, For from the least of the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. For from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So, because the people were wounded and they were looking for this God, and they're saying, Where is your God? Where is your God? The prophets and the priests were saying, No, there is peace. There is peace. Just look over here, put the blinders on, or don't focus on that. There's peace. Don't you see? That, look, you're doing okay financially. There's peace. They, they said peace when there was no peace. He says in Ezekiel 13, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. 
They shall not be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, Peace, when there was no peace. It was harsh. A person who abused the covenant of peace, who who wanted to warp it to be something differently, God says of them, they will not be enrolled in the house of Israel. They will not enter the land. Like those who lie about peace are in deep danger. The modern day equivalent of this is people and preachers saying, healed when there is no healing. And saying, rich when there is no prosperity. And saying that healthy and wealthy are the gospel. And that Jesus brings these things by his death on the cross. But don't get it wrong, Jesus certainly does bring healing. Spiritually now and physically in the life to come. And there's no greater wholeness than what's from Jesus. And Jesus certainly does bring wealth. The treasure of his righteousness. The deposit of the Holy Spirit now. And his eternal glory when we die. But there's, there's nothing worth more than Jesus. So he does bring health and wealth. But not as the prophets of our day say. Simply, it is, cannot be true that this is physical healing and wealth will come from his cross. Like that's part of the point of the cross. It wasn't. The fact that Jesus physically suffered, physically suffered and died as a homeless man, ought to make you wonder how people conclude that physical uh, avoidance of suffering is gospel. That, that you should focus on earthly wealth that God will give you. That that's gospel. How do you take that from a God who was there, who suffered as a homeless man? It wasn't about these things. It was to announce peace indeed. But people will sometimes announce peace where there is no peace. In body and in banking. And they say, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus will give you. Peace. Come to him and he's going to give you this peace, this completeness, this wholeness, this contentment. But they're offering peace where there is no peace here and now. Read Ecclesiastes. He's got it right. This world's vanity. Chasing after those things is like chasing after the wind. But there is an announcement of peace that is true. Just over 2,000 years ago, some angels announced peace to some shepherds in a field. Let me read that for you. Angels said to them, from Luke chapter 2, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men. On whom his favor rests. This is none other than the Prince of Peace that they were announcing. They announced him, and it wasn't false, and it wasn't empty, and it wasn't temporary. They were announcing peace in the Prince of Peace. It's interesting the way they announce him. This this host of heavenly beings. Singing, glory to God in the highest. And listen carefully to their choice of words. On earth, peace to men. 
And now if you fast forward in the Gospel of Luke, to when Jesus is riding on a donkey, about to enter the city of Jerusalem just before his death, there, you know, we normally sing on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Luke records it as they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, but they also say, peace in heaven. So here, at the beginning of his life, it says peace on earth. At the end of his life, peace in heaven. Why is that? Because we know that Christ is peace. And it's interesting because those on earth who didn't get him, missed it. Peace on earth to men on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth. He, he came to bring this covenant of peace. He came to inaugurate it, to show it, to prove it. And those who were supposed to know it greatest missed it. They missed it. They're the ones who crucified him. It's devastating. They rejected this peace announced. The angels declared peace on earth of the Prince of Peace. And it could either be rejected or the covenant of peace could be accepted. Here in Isaiah 54, it talks about this covenant of peace. And, and what it is, is you see earlier that it's your maker who is your husband. It's a relational peace. Verse 5, your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Verse 6, he will call you back. You, you must realize that all people are at enmity with God. We're at war with God. There is no peace between us and God until something happens. What can we offer him? Can, can we offer him enough turkeys? Can we offer him a, you know, our, our white flag? Can we, what, what can we offer him to say, look it, let's come to an agreement here. Let's just end this battle. Let's just end this war. There, there needs to be something. And Isaiah 54 tells us that it's, it's him. He's the one who, who calls you back. He's the one who covenants himself to you like a husband to a wife. And he's not going to let you go. He's going to bring you back. And so then, I love, because it carries on into Isaiah 55 with an invitation. An invitation. It says, Isaiah 55. Look there if you'd like. It says, come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me so that your soul may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. With my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that did not know you will hasten to you. Because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord. And he will have mercy on him. To our God, for he will freely pardon. What an invitation. What an invitation to come. 
come to this God. If you are thirsty, if you are parched, if you are dying, if you are at war, or if you are away and you realize it, come. And if you hear Him calling you, come, then come. He won't forsake you. If you are wicked, then you ought to forsake your ways. Come to the Lord, and He will have mercy on you. He will freely pardon you, it said. You know, peace, according to Sinclair, Sinclair Ferguson, he says, peace can come only when there is no more sin. So, those who cry now, you know, I hope for world peace. Do they know? Do they know what that entails? A lot of people will ask for something, but they, they don't want what it takes to get it. So they're asking for world peace. The only way to get world peace is Jesus. As by Jesus removing sin from people and us having a new heavens and a new earth. He must remove sin from every aspect of the world in order for there to be peace. People don't know what they're asking when they ask for world peace. They're asking for Christ alone. And it's interesting because they don't want Him. They don't want Him. They're satisfied in the temporary. They're satisfied in the next fix. They're satisfied in such little things. They worship the created thing rather than the Creator, Romans 1 tells us. They're not satisfied with true peace. So, as Ferguson carries on, he says, Peace cannot come where there is... Oh, sorry. Peace can come only when there is no more sin. War without cannot cease as long as there is war within. As Jesus himself indicated, wars and conflicts and rumors of both will be with us as long, along with the poor, until the end. World peace, in a secular sense, is not the meaning of Christmas. Advertisements will try to tell you it is. If you just buy these things, it contributes to the world peace. Right? Peace is about contentment. And the only thing that can truly give you contentment that is everlasting as God has said it is everlasting in this covenant of peace, it's not through things. It's not through health or wealth or things of this world. The only way to be at peace for all of eternity, be fully contented, is through the Prince of Peace. So then, how do we understand the ways in which Christ, the Prince of Peace, will bring it? How does he bring it? Does he bring it at all on earth? Does he bring it in any way in this life now? Today we just got an appetizer, a taste of the heart of true peace being Christ. It is indeed contentment. It is indeed everlasting. And it will indeed never leave us. And it found only when it is only found when the thirsty come, when the hungry come, when the broken are made whole, when the enemy is made a friend. That's where peace is found, and it's only found through this one who will be born the Prince of Peace. So next week we're going to look at the scripture and what it says about peace as harmony. Because that's important. We think often about peace as unity or harmony. We think about world peace. We think about wars. So we're going to look at what the scripture says. Does Christ deliver that? Does he bring a sense of harmony? Because now we know that this, this covenant of peace that was announced... It was anticipated. It has come. So then what does it mean? How does it actually apply to our lives? Does Jesus actually bring peace? Or is it still something that we're just hypocritical about? We sing silent night and there's wars. So until then, let us remember that our souls are restless until we find our rest in him. 
Verse 10 of Isaiah 54 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Let's pray. Oh God, it is profound that you would ever desire to be at peace with us, that you would ever make a way to be at peace with us, your enemies. God, our hearts are so full of sin and sinful tendencies, and God, that just wages war on your character, on your glory, but yet, you're so good, you're so gracious. You're so kind, and it is a kindness that is everlasting. And so, God, would you help us to humble ourselves and and realize that in this life, where the rest is found is in Christ, where the peace and the contentment is found is in Christ. So, God, we want to know what that means for us. I pray that you would begin to show us where we think we long for peace or desire for peace in our senses, in a temporal sense. God, help to show us how you can satisfy above all things So there will be no more turmoil in our hearts, no more turmoil in our souls, but instead we can find our rest in you. God, help us, expose us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.